band. Good to see everybody this morning. Everybody good? Yeah? Grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Been gone for a few weeks. It's always good to come back home. You know what I mean? It's always good to be back home. Uh, Nothing quite like it. So while you turn to Luke chapter 12, I want to just take a second, if I may, and remind you, or let you know if you don't know this, that uh, Steve Douglas and I are going to be offering a class starting on June 25th called Financial Peace. Uh, financial Peace. You guys know Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey. Uh, so Steve is really the, the expert in this field, not me. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you that. But uh, Steve and I are going to do this together starting June 25th, 9-15. We're going to meet right back here where the rock wall used to be, okay? So the rock wall's not there anymore. Because that's really the only place in the Y that we can meet on Sunday mornings, uh, the, who, how many people we can have in the class is limited. So I think we're going to probably cap it somewhere around 14 or 16 people that can come take this class. So if you want to come take this class, come find me. I'll get you signed up. Uh, it's, it's free. We're not charging anything for it. So we just, it's something that, that we want to do. So if you don't make it this summer, it's about uh, 10 or so weeks long. I think it goes June 25th, to I think August the 20th. Um, if you don't catch it this summer, we'll offer it again probably in the fall or maybe next spring. Uh, well, this is something we'll continue doing. So if you want to learn more about your finances and you want Steve to tell you how to stop spending money, we can do it. Okay, good, yes? All right, Luke chapter number 12. We're gonna start verse number 22 today. And so we're uh, continuing in our study this morning uh, through Luke. So Luke 12, 22, everybody look at me and let me know you got it. Good, let's read it together. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the privilege to open your word together. And uh, Father, I pray very simply that you would use this time to deepen our affection for you and to deepen our affection for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's have a conversation today. You good? You want to have a conversation with me? I want to have a conversation with you, and I want to have a conversation with you about anxiety, okay? Right? I know that's like something, it's like money and anxiety are the two things nobody wants to talk about, and I've already talked about both of them this morning, so we're just going to roll, okay? So I'll talk about anxiety, and and I want to, really probably to be a little more precise What I really want to get to is to talk to you about how to find peace in your life, okay? So I want to talk about how to find peace in your lives. It's going to sound, at least initially, like we're focusing on anxiety, but just hang in with me, okay? So anxiety, if you look around the world today, is a pretty large business, 
Okay, pretty big business in the world today. According to the American Psychiatric Association, anxiety disorders are the most common forms of mental illness today, affecting over 30% of the population of the world at some point in their lives. Could range from general anxiety disorder, which involves persistent and excessive worry that can interfere with daily activities, to various phobias, social anxiety, panic disorder. The list goes on and on and on. And according to Thrive Global, the United States alone spends annually about $45 billion dealing with anxiety. $45 billion. Our society really has worked over the last few decades to almost normalize the fact that we're going to deal with anxiety in our lives. And if you'll allow me for a moment to just take a moment of personal privilege and be transparent with you, I've been dealing with anxiety too. I've been living kind of in this anxious fog since about the end of October last fall. Uh, when my life changed, was not planning on it, didn't know it was going to change. But when you have a big life change, and you don't really know what's next, and you're not really sure what God is doing, let me just tell you, it's hard. How many of you have been there too? It's hard, man. It, 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 things change, and I'll be honest with you, when Matt told me that he was going to be out this week, uh, by the way, our buddy's preaching seven times in the next couple of days, so just pray for, pray for the man. Give him a pat on the back when he gets home. But I got to tell you, every one of those moments with God where you're like, dude, goodness gracious, what are you doing? Like, you want me to preach on anxiety? You want me to preach on this? I, I immediately come to you feeling a sense of inadequacy because sakes alive, I've been living with this for like eight or nine, I don't do math since October. Is that like eight months? Whatever it is. I'm not a math person, okay? I can do math when it comes to money, but don't ask me to do other math. That's not my, my gig, okay? But here's, here's what I'm going to tell you today, okay? God is sovereign. God is sovereign over my anxiety. God is sovereign over the struggle that I've had. God is sovereign over your anxiety, the struggles that you're having. And so my entire goal today for us is to show you maybe just a little bit of what God's been teaching me personally over the last few months, and then hopefully we can find some scriptural truths as we go along here that we can all hold on to together. Because chances are, if you are a living, breathing human being, you're going to deal with anxiety at some point, either you or somebody very, very close to you that you love. Okay, so as we turn to Luke chapter number 12, Jesus really kind of comes on strong here right out of the gate dealing with this idea of anxiety. And so here's what I want to accomplish today together. We're going to think deeply about this passage. We're going to note what Jesus is saying here. We're going to look at a couple of examples that he gives us. We're going to try to glean some reasons why we shouldn't worry. And then there's one command. Okay. So we're going to look, we're going to look at what Jesus is saying, the examples he gives us, the reasons why we shouldn't worry, and one command that I think that we can take home and really think about over the next week. Okay. Everybody good? Yes? No? Eh. Okay. All right. So as we get into this particular portion of chapter number 12, we see Jesus interacting, if you go just a few verses before this, with a crowd of people, right? He's interacting with this crowd of people, really starting back in, I mean, it's before this in chapter 12, but if you really look at verse 13 to 21, he's interacting with this crowd of people, and he tells them this story of a rich man, okay? And this story of the rich man is this rich dude is out there, and he has everything you could possibly want in Bible times. He's got all the crops he needs. He's got all the food he wants for years to come. And so his idea is to build larger barns, right? It's, hey, I got all this stuff. I don't have anywhere to keep it, and I don't want to get rid of it, and so I'm going to build larger barns. 
And the whole idea that Jesus gets to is God tells him, you fool, tonight your life is going to be required from you. Tonight you're going to die. Tonight it's all over and you've done all this work. You've worried about all this stuff for nothing because you're going to die. Okay, so, then, so that's the previous. As you move into verse number 22, Jesus continues this thought, but he does it kind of in a different way. He turns really from the crowd to his disciples, right? You see in verse number 22, he says to his disciples, therefore. So you look back, what is the therefore, therefore? The therefore is there because he just talked about the rich guy who was anxious because he had all this stuff. And now he turns his idea to the disciples. And he says to them, don't be anxious. Okay, don't be anxious. Now, it's good for us if we take a second and we remember exactly who it is Jesus is talking to here. Okay, talking to a crowd of folks, turns his attention to the disciples, and, and, and he tells his disciples then not to be anxious. And, and you have to remember the disciples when they started following Jesus. Do you remember what they were? They were fishermen. Matthew was collecting taxes. What They left everything behind. Right? These are, I mean, if you, if you, they, they, they give up everything that they had. They left their families behind. They, they, they were doing this stuff, and they didn't have, when they left to follow Jesus, they didn't have anything to speak of. Nothing. So you have this one extreme of this rich guy. You have this other extreme of these relatively poor guys and his disciples, and he's telling them not to be anxious. Tyndall's commentary talks about this. He writes, Greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it might not ever have enough. Two sides of the same coin, right? Right. You got the rich guy who's anxious about what am I going to do with all this? You got the poor guys that are anxious because they don't know what they're going to eat and they don't know the clothing that they're going to wear. And he tells his disciples, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your food. Don't be anxious about your clothes. Because at the end of the day, life is more than all of that. Now we need to remember also, Jesus is not telling them not to work. That is not the point of this passage. Jesus is not telling them not to plan. He's not telling them not to have a plan or not to have a good work ethic. He's just telling them, don't be anxious. Okay? And we're going to see that as we look at the two examples I told you about earlier. So there's two examples in this passage that Jesus gives us. The first one is in verse number 24. Okay? Verse number 24, he says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet... God feeds him. So the, so the first example of why we shouldn't be anxious, and, and honestly, I'm probably going to interchange the word worry as we go through here. Uh, so anxious and worry are kind of the, the same word there, is the ravens. You ever seen a raven? That is one ugly creature. I'm just going to say, you know, in, in the Bible, they were listed as unclean animals. Did you know that? So Jesus chooses an unclean, ugly, you guys ever, like anybody like, like scary movies? You guys watch scary movies? I don't. I, I'm the biggest baby ever when it comes to scary movies. But so how many scary movies have you seen in your life where the raven is like the bad character? Like, I never see a raven that's like happy. Okay? I think of movies I've seen them all. It's, it's, it's gro they're gross and they're loud. You ever heard a raven? It's, I, I'm not going to do it because I can do the cacao really loud. I'm going to ask my kids. I'm not going to do it here. But they're just gross. They're loud animals. They're nasty. It, the scripture, scripture denotes them as being unclean, yet... What you see here is that God loves them, he cares for them, and he makes sure that they have the provisions that they need, right? This, he says, consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them, right? You, you see ravens or you see birds out in nature today, right? They're always busy. 
They're always flying. They're always doing stuff. They're working. One of the examples here that Jesus gives us is something that can't provide for itself. Like ravens aren't involved in agricultural enterprises where they're growing crops or they're planting, you know, worm farms where they can go and harvest the worms to eat. They are working. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're involved in their life, but they are not concerned about where their next meal is coming from. They just go about and they find bugs to eat or they find worms to eat or whatever it is that they do, right? They're active. He's using an example here of something that is active, that is working, but that doesn't worry. He's teaching us really, Jesus is teaching us using a raven here to have faith in God who is our provider, right? One of the names for God, Jehovah Jireh, literally translates our provider. The ravens have nothing, yet God provides for them. In fact, if you go back to the book of Psalms in chapter 147, we see that even the young ravens are the objects of the care of God. God cares for the ravens. Birds are incapable of providing for themselves, but they never lack the providence of God. Example number one. Example number two, if you skip down a couple of verses to verse number 27, you see Jesus say, consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. Solomon, the richest, wisest person who ever lived, was not as beautiful as one of these flowers. We think in Scripture the flower that Jesus is talking about is the scarlet anemone. I said it right, anemone. Okay, it's this flower right here. It's beautiful. There's like this whole uh, like Hebrew lore about this flower. You can go like look it up online. I'm not going to go through it with you now, but like the blood. It's supposed to signify the blood of Christ on the cross and all this. But it's a beautiful flower, right? And Jesus tells us even Solomon was not as beautiful as these flowers are. For the purpose of our conversation, as, as beautiful it is, God, God created this flower. He loves this flower. He cares for this flower. But this flower doesn't provide for itself, does it? It grows, it eats, it gains nutrients from the ground. It pulls the nutrients from the ground so that it can grow and look like this, but it does not provide the nutrients that it needs. It's another example that Jesus gives us of a thing that he loves and that he cares for and that he takes care of that does not worry about where it's getting its next meal from. In fact, Scripture teaches us not only do they not provide for themselves, but they don't last very long either, right? So what he says, the, 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 the grass is here today and gone tomorrow, right? So two examples that he gives us. The first one is the ravens. They aren't anxious. If you look at the ravens, they're not anxious, yet God provides what they need. Look at the lilies. They're not anxious, yet God provides what they need. And in these examples that we see here that Jesus gives us, there are, I think, some reasons why sprinkled throughout if we look at it. So you look at these examples, there are some reasons why we shouldn't be anxious when, anxious when you look at the passage. And I want to look at those. There's three of them I want to look at with you. The first reason you should not be anxious okay, looking at this passage, is because it doesn't do any good anyway, right? Your worry doesn't do you any good anyway, does it, right? You, I, I said this to somebody earlier today, it's so crazy to me, like 100% of the things that I worry about never happen. You ever feel that way? It's like I live my life, uh, you know, I, so when I get anxious, I get this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Am I the only one? I'm not the only one, right? And I just, I think about it and uh, you know, I lay awake at night for like 30 seconds before I fall asleep and I think about it. Uh, I, I fall asleep pretty quick. But there's been a couple of nights over the last few months I've had some, some restless nights. Not many, not many, but there's been a few. Uh, but it's like so many times the things that I'm worried about don't happen anyway, right? 
We shouldn't worry because it doesn't do any good. Verse 25, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Worrying literally does nothing for you. You hear me? It, it's, it does, it, it's not, there's not one single piece of good that comes from worrying about different things. Matter of fact, if you look at the translation of the word anxious in, in verse 22, the word literally means to be torn apart. Right? So worry, anxious, anxiety is not a neutral thing in your life. It will destroy you. We as human beings weren't meant to live that way. You're not designed to live that way. You're not designed to live in anxious worry all the time. It will kill you. It's actually destructive to us. It's, it's quite literally not the way we were made to live, not the way that God designed us. We shouldn't worry because it doesn't do any good anyway. Number two, we shouldn't worry because our worry paints an inconsistent view of God for those around us. Okay, so the first one is about you. Don't worry because it doesn't do anything. As a matter of fact, it's destructive. The second one is for those around you, right? We are all Christ followers here. Worry, when you live your life full of anxiety and worry, what you're doing is you're, you're putting off the vibe that is an inconsistent view of God for people around you, right? Multiple times in this passage, we see that God will provide for our needs. Verse 24 shows that God provides for the birds, and yet we are, what does it say? much more valuable than the birds. Verse 28 shows that as much as God provides for the flowers, he will that much more provide clothing for us. Verse number 30 shows us that God knows exactly what we need. And when we worry, when we deal with anxiety in our life, it shows really it's a marker for us that we are putting more faith in ourselves and in our abilities than in the supremacy of God to give us what we need. I'm telling you, it has happened. I'm 42 years old, and I can look back over the course of my life, and I can point out to you over and over and over how God has provided every time, without fail, exactly what I needed. And it's not like, don't, don't hear me, it's not always what I want, okay? What I want is a brand new truck. What I want is a big house. What I want, I don't even want a big house, but I want a house on like an acre, right? It can be small. It, I don't, it doesn't need to be large, just a small house on like an acre where I can like, you know, throw a football and not break a window, okay? Um, I, that, but, but I'm not saying God gives you what you want. I'm saying constantly throughout the course of my life, God has given me exactly what I needed. It never fails. In the last eight months since October when my life changed drastically, God has given me what I needed. And I'm going to tell you something. This is not how I saw my life playing out. I had a plan. I had a 20-year plan. You know that? I, I mean, I'm the type A. Give me, I want it now. I want to know what the next 20 years are going to look like. And not only that, but I want to know the 13 steps that I'm going to take to get there. So everybody just get out of my way. I'm going to roll. We got a plan. Let's go. And that has not played out that way for me. And that's hard. Is it not? Those of you that have been there, that's hard. Now you're doing the hard work of trying to figure out how, how this plays out in your life. But when you allow anxiety and worry to infiltrate your heart and to infiltrate your mind, you're painting an inconsistent view of God to those around you. We know that God is sovereign over all things. We know that God is supreme over all things. And so when you're experiencing anxiety and worry that is debilitating to you, you're not painting a consistent picture of God for those around you. The third reason you shouldn't worry is because anxiety or worry 
is a marker for us that our heart is not in the right place. Okay, so we don't worry because it doesn't do any good anyway. We don't worry because it paints an inconsistent view of God. And we don't worry because our anxiety shows that our heart isn't in the right place. And here is where we find the one command that I was talking to you about earlier. The one command that God gives us, this is the remedy to your worry. Okay, so I'm not going to leave you here and just tell you not to worry. The scripture tells us, Jesus shows us how not to, and it's in verse number 31. What does he say? Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you, right? Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He goes on after this, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. It's God's good pleasure to give us what we need. When we worry, when we allow anxiety to drive us, that is a sure marker for us that we have lost sight of what we as Christ followers should truly be about, and that is the kingdom of God. How can we know that we will have what we need? Because we know who God is. Because God is the giver of all things. And I'm going to tell you something. When, when you have a 20-year plan for your life and that 20-year plan gets kind of blown out of the water, all you have is God. And that's a great place to be. And that's hard for me. I'm just telling you. Just being transparent. That's hard for me because I'm the guy that will pull myself up by my bootstraps. I got a work ethic that won't don't. I'll use an Arkansas term there. Okay. I mean, I, 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 one of the things that I have prided myself on for years is I'll work anybody under the table. And you know what? That's not good either. Focus on God. Seek the kingdom of God. God is our provider. God is the giver of all that we need. John MacArthur says it like this. How do you tap into that? How can I be assured that I'm going to get all that my father has for me? Verse 31, here is the key, but seek for his kingdom. You want these things? You want food? You want drink? You want clothing? You want to live a full life? You want to be free from worry? Free from anxiety? Free from fear? Don't focus on those things. Don't focus on food. Don't focus on the body. Don't focus on drink. Don't focus on your health. Don't focus on those things. Put the crux of your focus on this, the kingdom of God. And you seek his kingdom, and believe me, these things will be added. You see it back in Matthew chapter number 6, right? It's the verse that you all know. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Instead of worrying about your bank account, instead of worrying about your length of life, instead of worrying about your food, worrying about the class, it's not saying, we're not saying don't plan. We're not saying don't work. Those are all biblical, good, godly things. But when you allow worry to dominate your life, that's bad. Instead of focusing on all that, MacArthur says, let the dominant enterprise of your life, unlike the world, the dominant enterprise of the world is food, clothing, money, future, health, right? That's all they live for. But the dominant enterprise of the believer's life should be the kingdom of God salvation, the gospel of Christ, the focus of our life is to worship and to serve and to proclaim Christ and to live obediently to the word of God, to pursue truth, to pursue holiness, to pursue love. Colossians chapter 3 verse number 1 says it straightforward, you have been raised up with Christ since you have been raised with Christ. It says keep seeking the things that are above. Don't seek the things here, seek the things that are above. Live your life for the kingdom of God and everything else will happen. I'm telling you guys, I've seen it in my own life right? I I didn't tell Matt this, but this is really a sermon more for me than it is for you. I've been living this thing, man. This is crazy. I was so frustrated when I read this passage, and I was like, there's no way I'm preaching about this. Yeah, like, I don't want to. Dead gummit. 
Seek the things of God. Seek the kingdom of heaven. So, so the main question I have for you today is simply this. Church family, where is your heart? Where is your heart? The anxiety, the worry, it, it hurts your heart. It shows that your focus isn't where it should be. Now, I can't control everything that happens outside of me. I can't control my, I, I mean, I can work hard, but I'm going to tell you something. The last job that I had, I thought I worked really hard. I, I was away from my family a lot. I was doing a lot of things, and it was taken like that. But that's not where my self-worth comes from, right? It can't be. You find peace by focusing on what really matters. Do we work? Yeah, for sure we work. Of course we work. Do we worry about it? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, believer, we know who holds all things. And we know that that person loves us and promises to provide for us. And if we can focus on that, if we can focus on who God is and for what that means and what God does for us, then we have the opportunity to experience true peace. And church, that's what I've been learning in 2023. That's what I've been learning in 2023. And it has not been fun at all. I can't, there's, not a, I don't, there's not a piece of it that's been fun, just so that you know. But my, my focus must be where, where it needs to be. I, I, I have to not find my self-worth in my job. I have to find my self-worth, not find my self-worth in my social status or what other people think about me. I have to focus on God and his kingdom. And if I do that, hear me when I say worry is a thief and a destroyer, and its only use is for harm. So I beg upon you to look to the supremacy of God. I beg upon you to look to the goodness of God in your life. I beg upon you to focus on who God is. It's, I say this all the time. I, my, my family is going to get tired of me saying it. But it's the old song. It's my favorite song. The old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And what's the next line? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the idea. That's the thing to keep in mind. So let me invite you this morning to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And, and I want you to take just a moment. I didn't do this in the first service, but I'm going to do it here. The band's going to come back up. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to do a self-evaluation. Okay, this isn't with your, your spouse, it's not with your friends, it's not with your brother and sister, it's, not, you know, it's just you, you and God. No guilt, no shame, nothing like that. Okay, I just want you to take a moment, heads bowed, eyes closed. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? There's freedom that you can experience. And that freedom is found in the supremacy of Christ.